Why can it be so hard to understand the words of Isaiah? Well, between hashtags and LOLs, how well would Isaiah understand the way we speak today? Unlike other books of scripture, Isaiah wrote directly for his people during his time. Uncovering the world in which Isaiah lived is key to unlocking the true meaning behind his words. And with all of that in mind, Isaiah is still one of the most oft-quoted figures in the Old Testament. Why? Because of his prophecies and testimony of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. Pretty much I get scared when I hear Isaiah because I feel like I'm not going to understand everything that's in the book. Instantly I get a little scared just because that's like the hardest part of the scriptures for me personally to study. My first reaction is, oh, it's too hard for me to understand. I think the reason that we sometimes think of Isaiah as being difficult to understand is because the language is different and the references, um, the locales are different. It's hard. It is hard to relate to it. However, um, for me, I always say a prayer right before I'm reading the scriptures. And I, I, I asked the Spirit, I said, help me understand this and help me apply it to what I'm going through right now. There have been times when I've read things in Isaiah that have spoken the truth to me so powerfully that it was almost as if Heavenly Father was speaking to me. Heavenly Father speaks to the Spirit, and I feel I've actually felt direct influence by it, and having the, the scriptures, even even ancient scriptures, be answers to my prayers. Sometimes it's hard to explain. That's why you gotta dive into it yourself and let the Spirit tell you. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for being here today. Today's discussion topics come from our studies in Isaiah chapters 1 through 12. And the first topic is, how can I better understand the teachings of Isaiah? And the second topic is, God is with us, Isaiah and Emmanuel. To help us with our discussion, we want to welcome one of our scholars, Luke Drake. Welcome, Luke. Hi, good to be here. Luke is a coordinator uh, for seminaries and institutes in Tampa, Florida, and he's also working on his PhD from North Carolina, correct? That's right. And what are you uh, studying? I study ancient Mediterranean religions. Well, Specifically, we're... like the New Testament, early Christianity. All right. It's a good thing we're in the Old Testament, huh? That's right. That's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> we're excited to learn from you today. And uh, seated next to Luke, we have our special guest, Sister Rena Aburto, who is the second counselor in the General Relief Society Presidency. Rena, welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for our first topic, how can I better understand the teachings of Isaiah? I think it's a sentiment that is shared across many different age groups and societies all over the world, uh, as illustrated by a question from one of our viewers. Hello, we are the Nielsen family from Las Vegas, Nevada. Hi, I'm 11 years old and Isaiah goes way over my head. What can I do to understand him better at my age? Well, it's not because he's 11. Right? No, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that is a fantastic question. Um, Isaiah is challenging for a lot of reasons. Uh, I'll tell you one reason why Isaiah is not challenging. Sometimes we get this idea that Isaiah is hard because somehow he's being esoteric or we need to be on some like high spiritual plane. And I, I promise it's much more simple than that. Isaiah is challenging because it was written 2,700 years ago. It's, it's old and, he, and he's writing in poetry. And if you read contemporary poetry, contemporary poetry is sometimes a little bit hard to follow. He's writing in ancient Hebrew poetry. And then for Latter-day Saints, we read the, the Old Testament in the King James Version, 
Beautiful, beautiful uh, translation. I love the King James. But the King James was uh, translated in 1611. So imagine we're reading someone writing 2,700 years ago in ancient Hebrew poetry in a context that we're completely divorced from, econ the economic situation, the political mm -hmm. situation, all the little references that he has, these little towns and that we're, we're completely unfamiliar with, and then we're reading it in 17th century English. So whether you're 11 or like 71, this is a challenge. So there are tools though, there are ways we can overcome this, it's just about introducing ourselves and familiarizing ourselves with those tools. Sister Aburto, what are your thoughts? Well, I can relate to that family and that boy because I have also felt like that. But I have come to realize that, um, that I just need to, to really try to, to spend time in Isaiah because there are so many wonderful mm. teachings in there. And that I, sometimes I read a chapter and maybe I don't understand the whole chapter, but there are probably two or three verses that really catch my heart, my attention, and they apply to what I'm living or going through at that moment. And I think that if that's all you get, that's, that's wonderful. Mm. But I think it's also important to know the context of where he was and what was happening around him. And, uh, and I would probably recommend using the resources that we have. Mm. I would echo, first of all, what Sister Alberto said, which is Isaiah's largely writing poetry. And your relationship to poetry should be a beautiful one. Mm. So as opposed to torturing yourself trying to figure out what Isaiah really meant, first begin at a place where you just find those passages that you love. Memorize them, let them be a part of you. I mean, I think if you just did that for the rest of your life, you're done. Like, <laughs> you're done. Find those passages that speak to you. And if some don't, skip it, right? It's okay. But I do think there are some things you can do, some tools you can have in your belt that would broaden the number of chapters that could speak mm. to you uh, because you have a little bit more historical context, because you're reading it in another language. And now you just, as a, so instead of just only loving Isaiah 53, you know, you now also love Isaiah 23 and Isaiah 33 because of these other tools. So some very simple things, some practical things. Read it in multiple translations, whether it's other languages or alternate English translations. Elder Holland, Elder Christofferson, Elder Renland have all quoted from other English translations of the Bible in general conference, wow. right? So this is, and recently the church manual set, told us, in church meetings, use the King James. In your personal devotion, use other resources. So there are really wonderful translations out there. I've got one here. You can pick these up. These are free. You can find these for free online, right? But something as simple as this, this puts it in a, this gives me a different translation. And at the bottom, it has really, really helpful mm -hmm. footnotes that are designed to help me understand that eighth century worldview, right? Designed to help me understand when he says the word Ariel, what does that mean? It means Jerusalem. I could pray all day long and I'm never gonna figure that out, right? <laughs> but a historian tells me that's Ariel, right? Or it gives me a little of insight, who are the Assyrians? What's their relationship to the Babylonians? And when you know just these little details, right? You now can understand a little bit better what these prophets are talking about. Going to the Book of Mormon, I really like some of the things that Nephi says mm. about the Book of Isaiah. For example, if we go to 1 Nephi 19, verse 23, he explains to us why he's including Isaiah in his records. And he says that I might more fully persuade them to believe in the Lord, their Redeemer. So I think that if we have the desire to get to know the Lord better, we can pray before we read Isaiah. And we can say, Father, Please help me, <laughs> help me to believe more in our Redeemer. 
And then he also says, for I did liken all scriptures unto us. And so if we also try to apply the scriptures to what is happening in our life, they have a different meaning. So I think that also reading with a question and a desire and a prayer, that will also open our heart and our mind. And then we will, we will sense other things that probably we didn't sense before. And, and being willing to pay the price, you know, that, that we have to really try to, to read when we, when we can really concentrate and, and think about things. And again, you, you don't have to read everything. You, just, you can just go verses, uh, a verse at a time, and then the Spirit will speak to you. And I, I believe that language is a living thing. Language evolves and it changes. For example, nowadays, it's very hard for me to understand everything that my children say when they communicate over text and with their friends. You know, we, we use hashtags and LOL and, you know, emojis. <laughs> so just imagine Isaiah trying to understand how we speak. Well, you could have a whole conversation without any words, just all the emojis <laughs> yes. that you put up. But you can imagine, like you said, you know, Isaiah trying to look at a modern text message and be like, whoa, what is happening here? Nephi talks about how the words of Isaiah can be easy to understand for those that are filled with the spirit of prophecy. What does he mean by that? Because if that's the case, I'd sign like me to, up. I'd like to ask Nephi that question <laughs> when I see him. Well, Second so, so Nephi 25, I think, is when yeah. he says that, right? Mm. Yeah, 25.4. He says, The words of Isaiah are not playing unto you, nevertheless, they are playing unto all those that are filled with the spirit of prophecy. So that means that we probably need to try to have that spirit in us. We can pray about it. And when I read this, I remember Alma 17, when we read about the sons of Messiah and how they got together after years of just going with the Lamanites, trying to, to convince them to, to repent and, and come to the Savior. And, uh, and it talks about that in there. And, and it tells us all the things that they did in order to get that spirit of prophecy and revelation. It says in here that they waxed strong in the knowledge of the truth. So that's a key. They searched the scriptures diligently. They were giving themselves too much prayer and fasting. And it says, therefore, they had the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation. And when they taught, they taught with power and authority of God. So if we are do, trying to do these things, we are going to get that spirit. And it's not that we are going to prophesy big things, but we can understand what the Lord's trying to teach us and what we need to know in our life. And, and they, there can be simple, simple revelations that we receive as we are reading Isaiah that will help us and guide us as we are trying to live our everyday life. Thank you. Uh, did you have a question or comment? So, yeah, as I'm listening to all of these, you know, uh, thoughts, it just came to me, to mind, the inspiration of having this program, Come Follow Me. Mm. Because if I watch a movie and I don't get it, I ask somebody else that watched it what they thought of it, right? It's the interpretation. Each one of us has a different way to look at something, to interpret something. Mm -hmm. And as we're gathered here together as an audience and panelists, you know, we all have a little bit to add to it. And we learn from each other, you know, from things that have been shared. I've learned something that I didn't know that was not quite my interpretation, but it was somebody else's interpretation. There's a power, there's, there's, there's much to be said about, yes, I've got to do my, my own reading and my own interpretation. I've got to do my part, of course. But there's an important 
aspect of making this a group effort. Mm. Maybe with your family, maybe with your neighbors, maybe with your ward, maybe with a friend. But to, to take it out of your own experience and see it through somebody else's eyes and see how they interpret Isaiah. What does it mean to them? And then out of that, I think all of us can benefit. Yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing that. Uh, Sister Roberto, I wanted to ask you, has there been a, any of this, a specific teaching or verse from Isaiah that you've connected with or have had special experience with? Well, just reading this week, as we are reading these chapters, um, chapter six in Isaiah, we talk, he talks about how he received his calling as a prophet. And then um, if we read chapter six, um, verses five and six and seven, he says that he actually felt unworthy because he said that he had unclean lips. And then he tells us, you know, that um, a seraphim, the seraphims came and, and they put a, a coal in his mouth. So he was sanctified so he could have this calling. And I related to that. I think it has a connection with what we see in chapter one, two, when it says that, that even if our sins are uh, to be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. To be honest with you, when I received this calling, when I was interviewed by President Irene, <laughs> I felt like Isaiah. Wow. I remember, you know, just thinking about all the bad things that I had done in my life, all the mistakes that I had made and, and, and not feeling worthy. But then, um, but then you need to have that confirmation from the Spirit that the Lord is calling you because He knows your heart and that you have the desire to serve Him. And He will make up for your, for your weaknesses. And He has done that with me, you know, even with the language. <laughs> he has magnified mm. my efforts. And I think it doesn't apply only for a calling like mine, but it applies to all of us in everything that we do in our life, uh, all the things that we need to do. He magnifies our efforts. He knows our heart. And if we turn to him, even if we feel like Isaiah, that he had, had unclean lips, and if, even if we feel that our mistakes are, are as scarlet, the Lord, in his greatness and in his mercy and with, through his grace, he can make them as white as snow. This is the kind of promises that we find in here mm. that give us hope and the desire to just keep trying, keep going and trusting that the Lord knows you and he knows your heart and that he will help you do the things that you need to do. It's comforting to hear, you know, as you share those words, because I think we all feel uh, those inadequacies throughout our, our lives. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. This has been a wonderful discussion on our first topic. How can I better understand the teachings of Isaiah? When I feel when God is with me, I definitely feel at peace. I feel comfort, I feel peace. Uh, I'm smarter than I normally would be. The world just kind of goes quiet and still kind of a thing. It's hard to explain, but it, like it shifts. The feeling around me shifts and I know that God's there. When I look back at um, my childhood, my, my early years in Nicaragua and how hard it was back then, and all the fears that I had and all the uncertainties that I had growing up, and then realizing that God was always there with me. God has showed me mercy um, by placing other people in my life to guide me and to be good role models for me, and that means a lot to me. God had been by my side all along, and that He was preparing me so I could accept the gospel and become a, a more faithful 
Disciple of Christ. So our second topic we're going to discuss is called God is with us, Isaiah and Emmanuel. Just to start us out, would you mind giving us a little background on the topic itself? What does Mm. this mean? Yeah, okay, so broadly speaking, to understand the book of Isaiah, we need to understand, even just minutely, what's happening politically. And this is an age of empires. So you have Egypt, you have Babylon, and most terrifyingly, you have these groups, at least at this time, the Assyrians. By the eighth century, this is the largest empire that's ever been amassed, and it is a brutal empire. Millions of deportations, uh, psychological warfare, torture. And this is how they built their empire. They built this war machine, terrifying small groups of people and saying, if you don't play ball, we are going to do horrible things to you. This is the context in which Isaiah is writing. Remember, Israel has been, is now two kingdoms, a northern kingdom Mm -hmm. and a southern kingdom. And you have this encroaching Assyrian empire, always threatening, always seeking conquest, right? And so the big question is, is God actually with us, right? You have an Assyrian empire that's taking over the world and Isaiah's message is, look, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how terrifying this looks, Emmanuel, God is with us. So that's Emmanuel means God is with us. Yes. I love that. So what is the theme? What would you say is the theme of these first several chapters? Judgment. Judgment. Uh, So the first half of Isaiah is largely Judgment. A judge, judgment against whom? Yeah. Judgment against Israel for not taking care of widows and orphans. Judgment against Babylon. Judgment against Assyria. Judgment against Moab. It's God's justice largely because of the atrocities that are happening in the world. This okay. is God speaking through Isaiah saying, this is wrong. There are terrible things happening. And so God's wrath is turning toward these evil institutions, right? Now, every so often though, this is what I meant when I say it's not chronological. We say it's judgment. But every so often, you get these beautiful hymns of hope and glory. But largely speaking, the first 30 chapters of Isaiah, if you're feeling a little glum, that's because that's the tone of, it's the later chapters where you get hope and more restoration and a sort of a universalist view of God's glory and grace. Well, but when you were talking about the context of what was happening back then, this is so current also. If we think about it, you know, what is happening in the world, so many problems among nations and people and all of that. And I also relate because, you know, when I was a teenager in Nicaragua, we went through a a period of civil unrest. And I remember how we felt, you know, as a community, as a nation, it was very scary. You know, um, I I remember I would hear the bombs and the the bullets and so close to my house that at night we would put just the the mattresses on on the floor so we would be protected, we thought. But I remember the feeling, the feeling of uncertainty, fear, and not knowing if the next day we will be alive mm-hmm. and what will happen to us. And so I think that that's why it's so beautiful to read these passages and to try to understand how people were feeling back then and how some people are feeling nowadays because many of us are feeling you know, afraid and we feel fear, we feel uncertain, but to know that God can be with us if we turn to Him, if we really turn to Him. Those are experiences that many of us will never have to go through. Hopefully. Uh, Hopefully, (laughs) right, thank you. How did you get through those trying times where you can say with boldness, yeah, God was with us at at those moments? Yes, back then I think I probably didn't have a, a, a strong knowledge of Jesus Christ. I knew about Him, I believed in Him, I believed in God. And I remember us praying as a family, 
and just trying to be the best we could. And you just try to live one day at a time and you do, you do your best. And then as, as you do that, you can feel that strength that comes from God. And then you're just able to, to rally with other people too. I remember our, the neighbors will just help each other. Mm. We will share food. We will get together and talk about, you know, stories from, our, from their childhood, you know, the neighbors. So we will entertain each other that way. When we gather together, there is power. Mm. When people are trying to unite in faith and are trying to do the little things that, they can, that we can do to help each other. So you just live life the best you can and then God helps you. I can testify that the hand of God was helping us through those times. Thank you so much for sharing that. I would love to hear from the audience. When have you felt that God was with you in a difficult time? Yes, Tammy. I think it was really hard for me when I first came from Vietnam over. I didn't speak the language and I got teased almost every day and until junior high. Then I realized, oh, there's actually nice people <laughs> that actually wants to be my friend. And I think it was very trying for me because I'm like, why did we come here mm. hoping for a better life? But I felt, you know, every Sunday when we go to church and when we're with family, there's hope. And they teach me that, you know, just try to make it through the day, make it through the week. And there's always family there. There's other people there. And I think God was really guiding me and helping me through those times. Thank you so much for sharing that, Tammy. I, I just, I love this, you know, as ancient as this story of Isaiah is, man, it's so relevant to today, this theme of, yeah, God was with the Israelites, God is with us today. And there's so many beautiful metaphors that he uses if you're looking for different types of metaphors. As Roberto mentioned, Isaiah 1:18, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. A few verses earlier, I think it's in verse six, uh, he uses the metaphor of being wounded. The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even under the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment, right? Like, just reminding us of what it means to be a human, which is often we're wounded, right? Like, I'm hearing your, you share your stories and that loving other people and moving and progressing involves being wounded. and. Mm -hmm. You know, I, Isaiah is reminding us that by saying that God is with us, that we believe in a healer God, a God who heals and a God who wants to bind up our wounds. I mean, I can't read that without thinking of the Good Samaritan, right? And, and you know, the guy who's, his, he's got open wounds and now someone's coming up and applying bandages. And, and whether that's Christ or whether that's our neighbor, you know, all of us are in need of being, being healed. Sister Burtu, I'm, I'm interested in knowing with your experience and your in your current calling, I imagine that you have opportunities to meet with sisters all over the world. Yes. How do you help them to recognize that God is with them in their times of trial? Well, it's interesting because, you know, everywhere we go, before we travel, we try to understand what is happening in the area and what questions and concerns the leaders and the sisters have. And uh, it's the same everywhere. <laughs> It's the same. You know, people want to know how, how to feel hope. People want to know how to minister to each other better. People want to know how to help their friends, their family members. It's the same everywhere because we are human beings and we have the same wounds. <laughs> mm. And we are trying to, to get that healing from, from the Savior. And um, 
I think that, you know, we just need to bring them to, bring people to him, to, to help people understand and, and to know and to really believe that we do have a savior, a redeemer, a master healer, mm. someone who understands how we feel. And that um, it doesn't mean that our, our life is gonna be easy, but, it, but we're going to have a different perspective of our trials and we will also be able to help other people because he can give us strength. We can receive power from him. You know, in the Lord's power, we can do all things. So it is a wonderful experience to just go around and see that we are all just trying to do the same things and hoping for the same things, for that healing. Can I throw out one sort of word of warning about Isaiah that just Jeez. came to mind? Um, one of the things that Isaiah does really well is castigate people for, for, for their wrongdoings. Mm. And one of the themes in Isaiah is, is he's saying that, uh, that some of these trials are coming on account of their sins. They're being punished for their sins. And I think that's actually an important thing for us to remember. There are things that I can do that are wrong, which actually are going to bring affliction upon me. There are choices I can make that are gonna make my life yeah. more miserable, right? There are, I make certain decisions, I can ruin my life. And like Isaiah in that respect is a really nice corrective to remind us there are things that we can do that can uh, bring trials into our lives. But I, it's important that Isaiah is in a broader library of books where you have other books that are reminding us that some trials aren't our fault, like Job. So it's like, I like having Isaiah next to Job. Like Isaiah's there for those days where I do something wrong and then I, tr I heap trials under my own head and Isaiah's saying, well, just don't do that thing. But then Job comes in, because then there are some things where it's like, it's not your fault, right? This is what John chapter nine is about. Who sinned, this man or his parents? And mm. Jesus says, neither of them sinned, right? This is what Job is saying. Sometimes you're gonna have afflictions, you're gonna be wounded, and it's not your fault. It may not be anybody's fault, right? So it's, it's nice to remember that we have a Bible for a reason. It's nice to have multiple explanations for why we suffer. And Isaiah is giving us one, but then there are other voices that sort of uh, expand the picture. Sister Burta, you mentioned that as a child growing up that you went through some tough times and you were able to, to see the hand of God, that God was with you. What specific things did he do for you and your family to show that he was indeed with you? Well, uh, first of all, we were protected, you know, and I know that not everybody was, but uh, I remember one specific night. I remember going to bed and hearing all those noises and even people screaming in the distance. And I, I remember being afraid and uh, just offering a prayer in my heart. And I asked God, you know, I said, please help me so I feel better, so I feel peace. And, uh, and just almost instantly, I was filled with this wonderful feeling that, you know, everything will be okay. That no matter what happened, even if the worst happened, mm. that I will be taken care of and my family will also. So for me, that, is a, that was a testimony that God truly is with us. When we turn to him, and as a, as a young person, I, I received that testimony at that time. Did you ever ask yourself, why, why is this happening to me? Yes, many times. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I remember back then, um, 
There was a point in which the government started um, bombing some of the neighborhoods in our city. That would happen every, every afternoon around 4 p.m. I even remember what time. I don't know why they did it at that time, but wow. it was always, every day for a few days. And we would just go out and just look at that because we could see it, you know, maybe two miles away from where I lived or something like that. And I remember asking myself, you know, or even asking God, why, why don't you stop this? Mm -hmm. I know that you have the power. Why don't you do it? Um, because I knew that with every bomb, everything that we, were, we saw that they were throwing, people were dying, families, children. And I, I don't remember feeling angry at God, but just knowing that he had the power to stop it. And, uh, you know, it took, me, it took me years to understand that we have agency and that people choose their agency in different ways and that God needs to respect that, and that he has power, but he works in, through us to make changes in the world. He works through our heart. And if we allow him to change our heart, then we can go and change the world. So that's what I have learned, you know, looking back at those times. Stroberto pointed us to chapter 12. I'll, yes. I'll, I'll read that. I'll just start at verse two. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. So we have reason to rejoice yeah. and we can sing together. And I, I, I was, I, as you were reading, I, I could picture families just singing after reading this chapter, you know, singing together and, and praising God. And, and also it says there, number three, therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And this is the Lord. He is the one who gives us salvation, and we can joyfully draw upon that and be saved and be sanctified through Him. What a beautiful way to wrap up our second topic, God is with us, Isaiah and Emmanuel. I think it's necessary that we study and learn from the Old Testament. It's a literal testament of Jesus Christ and of Heavenly Father, and how He's helped people and how He can help you in the same circumstances. The Spirit teach me that there's so much to learn and that people are so loving and willing to share their own experiences and show me different ways to understand the scriptures better, even though it's, it's from a long time ago, but you can adapt it to today. You just never know when you can connect to something and it's very important to just read through those times because they can have some situation or problem that you can sort of relate to and try to use the ways that they solve that problem to your own life. Coming here today has helped me realize that as I study the scriptures more often and with more diligence and with questions in my mind that I can get the guidance I need um, every single day. Welcome to Footnotes, where we're gonna dive in a little bit more into some of these chapters we've covered in the first 12 chapters of Isaiah. And joining us is a new guest, Shauna Siemens. Welcome, Shauna. Thank you. Welcome. 
Shauna is a religious instructor at the Utah State Institute of Religion. Yeah. Uh, we're excited to hear from you and some of the insights as we dive into Isaiah. So we have a lot of stuff that we can talk about. Where do we want to start as we dive into these first 12 chapters of Isaiah? Let's start with chapter 7. Um, Let's do it. As I was thinking about how would I teach this to my students, that's the big question. I love to start with a question in mind. And so since chapter 7 has that beautiful verse, um, including the name Emmanuel, I would start with a question about like, what sign does God give you that he is with you? And just to kind of think about that as you go along, because Isaiah is going to go and talk to the king And it's interesting that the Lord knows where the king is. He tells Isaiah exactly where he is. He's up by this pool, go talk to him, which I find just super fascinating. And then as Isaiah goes and speaks with him, he's trying to help the king understand to trust in the Lord, not in these two other nations that want to help him or really trick him. But um, then Ahaz kind of, um, he, he kind of plays it off and he says, I, I, don't, I don't want to tempt the Lord. I don't want to ask the Lord for a sign. And Isaiah tells him, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. Mm. And so those beautiful verses, verse 14 and 15, therefore the Lord shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So I just love that thought of what can we do to think about how is God with us? What sign does he give me on a daily basis or a weekly basis that he is with me? How would you answer that question? That you're, the, one, the one you ask your students, like, give us, let's get a little personal here, Shauna. Right. How, how, how are you going to answer that question? Yeah, I, I actually thought a lot about that when I was thinking about these chapters and about the signs that God gives me. And I'm, I've really had to pause and see the little miracles the little, um, not coincidences, but tender mercies, as Elder Bednar would say, where the, where the Lord has shown me he is with me. Just the other night, I was trying to get home to visit my family. And the flight, it was a timing issue about being home in time to be with the family. And my flight was not coming in on time. And we had to do some circling. And I mean, it was just the peace that came after praying, saying, I really would love to be with my family. I know it's not that big of a deal if I'm not. But if you could help me to be there, that would be great. And it did work out that I was able to be there, even with the different hurdles that I had to jump over. So I'm very, very grateful for just those little pieces of my day where I see God's hand, his sign that he's with me. Thank you. Sister Aburto, uh, your turn now. Can you tell us how does God show you that he's with you? Well, I have felt his hand you know, in, in so many circumstances of my life. But to be honest with you, this calling is, has been hard for me in the sense that I, I have never felt that I have what it takes. And every day and every time I, I have an assignment or, or something that I need to do, I have to pray and ask for that help and that guidance and that support and that power. And there have been times, um, you know, like when I'm traveling that I'm in front of, hundreds of people sometimes, and I don't know what I'm going to tell them. Or you're speaking in general conference. Yes. Well, for that, you prepare better. (laughs) But it's interesting because sometimes when you have those assignments uh, in other places or different assignments that you have to speak, you 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 try to write a message and you can't. Mm. 
Mm. Spirit kind of tells you, you need to be there. You need to look at the, their faces and then you will know what to say. Wow. And it takes courage. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not that easy to do it, but, but you do it. And I know it is because the Lord is, is guiding me in that sense. Of course, I'm not totally unprepared. I try to bring mm -hmm. like a little outline with some scriptures and some thoughts, but I really don't know exactly what I'm going to say. And he puts words in my, in my mouth and he has done it over and over. And, and I don't think it only applies to, to my calling. Mm. It applies to all of us, you know. We are all in circumstances in which we are dealing with someone who needs comfort and we don't know what to tell them, or with a child that is having, you know, different kinds of situations and you don't know how to help them, and then the words come. I really want to see where you guys want to go with this. Uh, I'm really excited to learn from you, and so I'm just going to um, allow you to teach us. Shauna set us up perfectly, getting us a sense for the geopolitical situation. And she's absolutely right that one of the reasons why this is so hard to follow sometimes is Isaiah will, he's really only referring to a few people, but he calls them by like five different yes. names. And we do that too, right? If I say POTUS, the White House, the Oval Office, those all mean the same thing mm -hmm. to us. 2,000 years from now, they'll be like, oh, are these three different people? You have a mm -hmm. White House and then you have a POTUS. It's like, no. He's, oh, okay. he's, he's this is poetry, right? So you can see this here. It came to pass, in, this is verse one. It came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah. So Ahaz, Ahaz king of Judah, that's also Jerusalem, right? Uh, Judah, that would also be house of David, okay? That Rezin, the king of Syria, so this is this other very small kingdom to the northeast, right? Uh, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, so this is the northern kingdom, uh, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. So what's happening? You have these two small kingdoms that are upset with uh, the southern kingdom, where Ahaz is, and they're upset because they want, to, they want him to play ball. They're saying, look, Assyria is taking over the world. We're gonna band together and fight Assyria. We want you to join us. Ahaz says, I don't want to join you. So they say, okay, we're gonna come in and attack you so we can put in, install a king who will play ball with us, right? right. And by the way, we're you don't get this in this first verse. You're getting this from Second Kings. You're getting this from other historical resources. So there's no way that just by reading verse one, we could know all that. Then the Lord said unto Isaiah, go forth now to Ahaz, thou and Shear Jishub thy son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. So go meet the king. And this was common in the ancient world. Prophets are counselors to kings. The prophet says to Ahaz, ask for a sign or I'll give it to you. And Ahaz says, I'm not gonna tempt the Lord with a sign. He says, fine, I'll just give you a sign. I, I, I gave you an option to have a sign. Let me just give you one. And he says, look over there. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. And behold, in other words, look, a young woman, a virgin shall conceive. A young woman is about to give birth and bear a son. He's probably pointing to a young woman that's mm. near a pregnant woman. And, and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. Now look what happens in verse 15. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Okay, so what's this saying? When I first read this, I find it a little difficult, so I might pull up another translation. Let's read another translation. The boy, this, she's gonna bear the son, Emmanuel, God is with us. 
he shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. In other words, by the time this kid is old enough to know good from evil, he's, we're not gonna be at war anymore. He's gonna be having good food to eat, right? Uh, not wartime food. Uh, 16, for before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. By the time this kid is six, seven, eight, nine years old, they're gone. That's the sign. He's inviting Ahaz to just trust in the Lord and this is all gonna blow over. When you can really paint the picture of just how terrifying a political situation this is, you have Assyria, you have these other two nations, and you have the prophet telling you, don't join Assyria, don't join them, God is with you, trust. This is like a very challenging, this isn't easy, this isn't like, well, just mm -hmm. choose the right. It's like, no, millions, like lives are at stake, maybe hundreds of thousands of lives are at stake. And then if you keep reading, what do we find out? What does he do? He ends up joining the Assyrians, mm -hmm. right? He does what I think a lot of us would feel tempted to do. I'm gonna join the big bully. Like I've got a Syrian, I've got these two guys, I'll be a vassal to him. But then what we find out is we later read Isaiah, this produces all sorts of problems and it eventually leads to Assyria coming in and attacking Jerusalem 30 years later, sacking it, losing more lives, right? So this could be a really beautiful opportunity for us to reflect on what does it mean to have a prophet who invites you to do things that, where there's actual things at stake here. And this is a real challenge. Uh, Ahaz, sometimes we just think of him as this like bad dude. It's like, I, I kind of, I feel for the guy. I'm like, that'd be a tough position to be in politically. And here you have a prophet saying, just trust, God is with us. Sister Borto, I'm curious, as you were saying that, you know, you, you have an opportunity with your current calling to work very closely with uh, a lot of the, the leaders of the church. Um, how can you relate to what he was saying about the, just the, the benefits that we have of having a prophet and the counsel that he gives to us? Well, I think that uh, there is a reason why someone is called as a prophet. You know, the, these are men that they have been prepared from the beginning of times, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, through their life, even though I'm sure they are not perfect, they have been prepared by the Lord. And they have also um, been faithful and, and tried to really be good disciples of Christ. And for me, you know, I have the opportunity to participate in some councils with, with the apostles and sometimes even with the, with the first presidency. And I, ca I can see, you know, I can see revelation coming to them, but it's beautiful to see how they use their councils mm. because, you know, we go there and uh, we have people from different backgrounds and different um, departments of the church and callings and we come together with an issue and we come prepared because they send us the agenda ahead of time and we can, we can see what we're going to talk about. We pray about it. We, we even try to read the scriptures or, or read other things that we know that have to do with that subject. And then we come together and you see how beautiful that is. How, how like it says, you know, that revelation is sprinkled mm. among us and how the, the brethren, you know, the apostles, the, the first presidency, they listen to everyone and you can tell, you know, that something is happening in their mind and in their heart. And, uh, and that nothing, nothing moves forward if there is not consensus. Hmm. If, if anyone in there doesn't feel good about something, 
it just doesn't move forward. But when, when everyone that is participating in that council feels good about it and they know that they, that's what the Lord wants, then, um, then it happens, of course, with the appropriate approvals. But what I'm saying is that these men that are our prophets, seers, and revelators, they are truly looking to find the, the Lord's will. Mm. And they don't, you know, make decisions or, or to look at things in, 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 in isolation. There is always background, there is always experience, there is always the counsel and everyone trying to help and trying to really, really look, to look for that, that uh, guidance that comes from heaven and that we know that we are just trying to find the Lord's will and that he is actually guiding us. But, but it shows that the Lord calls, you know, yeah. normal people, humble people, just to go and fulfill whatever assignment we receive, and, and he magnifies our efforts. And, and it really does show that through a prophet, God does show that he's with us. Yes. Now, Lou, I love how you used, um, you, you refer to something, uh, another translation. Yeah. I love that too. And, and so I think, do you think that sometimes we feel like we're not allowed to totally. go to other resources? I think we have a lot of resources at our disposal, right? The Doctrine and Covenants tells us to seek out the best books, right? Yeah. Brigham Young said, if there are translations that better uh, capture uh, the language of the ancient prophets, then I want to read those translations. And if I could do Greek and Hebrew, I would produce those <laughs> translations, says Brigham Young. I mean, the beauty of a study Bible. Can you explain a study Bible? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So we can understand the sure. context. So what a study Bible is, is a group of scholars, there's sometimes Catholic scholars, Jewish scholars, sometimes scholars of many faiths come together. They bring a, tra a fresh translation, often, of the Hebrew scriptures, as well as the Greek New Testament. And then they give you curated footnotes for the average Joe or Jane. And it's meant to give you the historical situation of the times. A study Bible is only interested in that eighth century context. Okay, I love that. I think it's important for us to, to understand that there are so many uh, helps and aids to better understand the scriptures in general. And I think one of the best helpers is the Spirit, mm. you know, it's the Holy Ghost. And if we start our study with a prayer, it's going to be there. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything is going to be totally clear, but it's going to be there and it's going to help us understand what we need to understand. So are there some of your, are there any uh, of these scriptures or verses in, in these first 12 chapters that have special meaning to you or that you just want to talk about? Well, for me, I, I really love chapter 11 because it's talking about our time, you know, when, when the, the gospel will be restored and um, people will start to be gathered. Mm. The house of Israel will start to be gathered. I like, for example, verse 9, where it says that the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord mm. as the waters cover the sea. And I wonder how they imagined this back then how, how can the, the knowledge of the Lord cover the earth? And if we think about it, you know, it kind of started when the Book of Mormon um, came out and it was published. And of course they had the Bible before, but, but nowadays we have the internet and we have wow. so many ways in yes. which actually the knowledge of the Lord can cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And this is, you know, we are seeing the fulfillment of this prophecy. This is us. This is our, this is our time. 
So the question that I could ask myself is, how am I helping so this prophecy can be fulfilled mm. through me? What am I helping? What am I doing in my life to help so the knowledge of the Lord can fill the earth? You know, and I think we can all do something. Mm -hmm. And we can start with our neighbor mm -hmm. next door. We can start with someone that we see in the store or someone that we communicate with through technology. Luke? You know, in, in my, uh, I loved everything that you all just shared. Like, I, I feel like, I so, feel so edified. And, and my impulse is, is, also, is always to go back and ask, okay, like I love going back to that first lens that Elder Oaks talks about. And just thinking of like verse 12 of chapter 11, same verse that we've been reading. Mm. He will raise a signal for the nations or he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah. Thinking of this in the context of Assyrian destruction and eventual Babylonian destruction. People actually being resettled, refugees, like sent across the empire, sent into slavery, sent to work in mines, sent to, I mean, the when I when I when I think of Isaiah and just the 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 uh, extreme amount of human suffering that's in these verses, and for Isaiah to be prophesying hope that there's going to come a time where they're going to be where where they're going to be gathered. The envy also of Ephraim, the north shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Sort of a, a merging together again of these kingdoms. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim reuniting this kingdom that's been split. Um, verse 16, and there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, right? This nation, which is known for deporting people, terrorizing people, killing people, there's gonna be a highway that God creates from Assyria back to the promised land, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. Can you see how it's, mm. it's Exodus all over again? Liberation from a tyrant uh, gov uh, governmental system, right? Slavery. Isaiah's reading Exodus on to their time. The book of Revelation is going to read Isaiah on to Revelation. Martin Luther King is going to read Isaiah and Revelation into the civil rights movement. I mean, in so many ways, it's the same message of liberation again and again and again through these poetic verses. That idea of outcasts, right? How many people are struggling with identity? from different mm -hmm. things that have really happened to them. And so they may feel outcasts of Israel. And yet they are, they do have a place. They, they should remain with us, they should be brought. And then as they are, they find out who they are, whose they are. Mm -hmm. And that identity is just powerful once you know, like President Nelson has said, that you are of Israel. And then that word highway that you brought out in verse 16, um, it kind of reminds me of President Nelson saying we have a higher and holier way, mm. a highway to do things now, to minister, to share the gospel. We have a higher way, Yes, a highway. But you know, it's, inter it's interesting because when I saw that hi highway, I thought about the covenant path. Ah. <laughs> you know how we can, <laughs> the same word, we, it can mean so many things because the covenant path can take us you know, closer to the Savior and back to our Heavenly Father. And sometimes we think that the covenant path is only, you know, baptism and ordination to the, to the priesthood and then um, the endowment in the temple. But if you think about it, it also includes the sacrament every week. Oh, yes. And every week we need to have that 
ordinance, we need to participate and, and we need to renew our covenants. And that's part of that highway that the Lord has prepared for us to go back. Hearing your final two reflections made me think of a poem by <laughs> Billy Collins. Uh, uh, he's talking about poetry. And what we're doing is we're reading poetry and poetry should do exactly this, inspire more thought, more language, more words, more feelings. This, this is how Billy Collins talks about poetry. And he, he, he gives this poem to all high school students when he was the poet laureate of the United States. He says, I ask them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press an ear against its hive. I say, drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with the hose to find out what it really means, right? Like, sometimes I feel like we're so worried about finding out yeah. what did Isaiah really mean? It's like, no, no, it's a poem, it's poetry. Breathe it, read it, feel it, just as you all have done. And the spirit comes in with us and we can all be edified together with this beautiful poetry. Thank you. I love it because now I'm going to start reading the scriptures thinking, what does this mean to me? Mm -hmm. You know, what does it mean to me and my relationship with my Savior and my Heavenly Father? And I can also ask the question, how could I know the, the Lord better as I read these scriptures? And I think that uh, that's what I have learned from you today. I'm so grateful because I think there, there is power in us gathering and, and trying to, to learn together and to have, you know, all these different ideas and thoughts. But my testimony is that God is with us mm. every day, every moment of our life. And because he loves us so much, he sent his son as a baby, as a beautiful, tiny baby to bring us hope. And to, and to show us the way, to give us a highway so we can go back to our Heavenly Father. And this is beautiful. Thank you so much for everything that you have taught me today. <laughs> thank you so much. Shauna, thank you so much for joining us in this conversation as we talk about how can I better understand the teachings of Isaiah and God is with us, Isaiah and Emmanuel. And thank you all for joining us today. Uh, again, we want to invite you as you've watched, as you've learned, that you will listen to those feelings, listen to those promptings, and allow the Holy Ghost to teach you. Thanks again for joining us. Please come back for another episode of Come Follow Up.